All right, well, hey, good morning, New Life Church. Who's glad to be in the house of God today? Amen. I am. I know it makes it a whole lot easier when you got a worship team who just puts it out there and makes it uh, approachable. Amen. And creates an atmosphere that's conducive for God's presence uh, to really be here and to be tangible. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful that we, we serve a God that it's, he's not someone we talk about, but he is someone we get to know and someone we get to experience. Amen. How about that? Uh, how about those songs, man, talking about grace, God's grace, amazing grace. My, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, who ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Amen. Come on, whose chains are gone today in Christ? Come on, whose chains are gone in Christ? And if you're here today and you're battling and you're struggling, we want you to know, God, more importantly, really wants you to know that his grace is what we all really need. And that's what we're going to get into today and talk about. Let me invite you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll also be able to follow along on the screen. A couple of weeks ago, we started a series called Life with God. And we kicked this series off with a message uh, that I preached called Walking with God. And um, it, it, was, it was probably one of the most... Um, uh, at the risk of bragging, it was one of the most heartfelt messages I felt that I have preached in a very, very, very long time. And I felt God's tender touch upon, upon that word. And I can't encourage you enough, if, if you were not here a couple of weeks ago, to go to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. Pull that, pull that message down. Listen to it. Download it on your phones. Listen to it in your, in your cars at, before you go to bed. It was just one of those types of messages that will really encourage you and really bless you and really help you. And, um, and then last week um, was pretty, uh, pretty powerful, pretty unique. For those of you who were able to be with us last week, uh, it was a really a, a, a day of ministry and prayer, uh, some prophetic ministry, and just a, a day where, where we really, literally God literally poured His grace out on our lives, and so many of you responded, so many of you coming forward, just acknowledging that, you, that we need God's grace in our life. And today I'm actually going to teach on, on that particular subject matter. Um, I've titled today's message, Resting in God, Resting in God, and more specifically we're going to talk about resting in God's grace, and we're going to look at the effects of His grace in our life and what that really means. And because, uh, you know, we can say grace, we can talk about grace, we can sing about grace, uh, but the attributes of his grace are, are pretty, pretty powerful. And so we're going we're gonna to get into that here in just a minute. Let's look at our main text here, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what the Apostle Paul is writing, and he speaks of it this way. I'm going to first read in the New Living Translation, and then I'm going to put up, they're going to put up the Message Translation. There's a couple of things I want us to see there as well. Beginning in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul saying, Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Verse 8, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time the Lord said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Everybody say, my grace is all you need. That's what God says. So, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Verse 10, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults hardships, the persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's look at it here in the message translation. It said, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. 
Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. But I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Now listen to this. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, on the thorn, and I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size. Abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. Listen, that's such a simple statement, but the most profound he makes right here. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today, and thank you for this opportunity to be together with members of the body of Christ, the family of God, all of us at different levels of learning how to grow and learning how to walk in you and to walk with you. And today, as we get into your word, I pray you would speak to us directly. You have a word for our hearts. You have a message for our ears. And you have a challenge to our faith so that we can rise and become greater in you. I pray today we would get, we would absorb, we would welcome, we would digest everything it is you are putting on the table for us to eat today. And help us, oh God, to let it work into our lives. We honor you and we thank you now. In Jesus' name, and everybody who wants that can say amen. Amen. Talking about resting in God. Many years ago, a Christian psychiatrist by the name of Frank Lake was working with a group of people who were serving the Lord on the mission field. And they um, had the right heart, had the right intentions, felt God's call to do such a thing, but through the, through the stress, through the strain, through the limitations through the challenges that were out there on the mission field. Um, well, they, they've come to find themselves at a place where they were stressed, they were strained, they, were, they became cynical, they became judgmental, they, 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 they became discouraged in their hearts. So this Christian psychiatrist teamed up with a Swiss theologian and they began to study the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and specifically looking at the life of Jesus and the pattern and practice of Jesus. And so obviously he too went through a lot of strain, enormous amounts of stress, at one point to the point of bleeding out of his, out of his pores, blood, from the stress and the strain, the agony he was feeling within. But what they discovered was that he, he didn't allow that stuff to make him cynical. He didn't allow that stuff to um, take away his joy. He didn't allow those challenges of life to, to remove um, his love for people. He did not become unloving. Wouldn't you say that, truthfully, Jesus loved all the way through his time on earth? And, and it showed a pattern of what, what he did and what he practiced. And, you know, all of, all of us, all humans, we all face challenges we all face some stressful, strenuous, difficult, challenging things. That, and even trying to do the right thing, we still can experience setbacks, right? And turmoil at times. But the thing with Christ was he showed us that we can, st we can go through things, but we don't have to lose our love. We don't have to lose our joy. We don't have to become cynical of other people. We don't have to live discouraged and disappointed in our hearts. He showed us that what he depended on was really God's grace in his life. 
And it was God's grace in the life of Jesus that made all the difference, and it's the, God, it's the grace of God that will make all the difference in our lives through Jesus Christ. And it's something that's, that's supposed to be experienced and worked into our life, that's something more than we just kind of know about or talk about, but something that is literally experienced inside, that gives us an ability to do what we could not do except with what God is able to give us, and he gives us his grace. Um, just came up on nine years of pastoring the church here last month, and next, oh, thank you. Uh, it's more of a testament to you all, quite honestly. Um, and uh, the last six years, really, I'd say the last six and a half years are probably the, some of the most challenging in my, my life, uh, personally. And as you all know, over six and a half years ago, we, uh, the first three years of that six and a half years were spent really, for me, just really praying a whole lot and waiting a whole lot on God. Uh, as you all know, we, our church had, had some, uh, faced some significant financial challenges. Uh, we faced some uh, internal organizational challenges. We, we were ministry poor, meaning we didn't, our church was unable to really truly express Christ in the community the way we really fully were, felt called to do through a lot of different challenges and dynamics that were happening at the time. And so spent about three years just really praying and waiting on God. And then about three and a half years ago, we got the green light. We sold our old property and began to take the steps to get out of debt. And thankfully, this last spring in April, we paid the last of our debt off, praise God, as a church, as you all know. And then the last three and a half years have been great. They've been wonderful. It's been, it's been unique being, being in, a, in a position like we are of, of mobile, setting up, tearing down, and all of the different unique challenges that come with it uh, as well. Uh, so really the last three and a half years have really been spent about uh, replanting our church. We renamed our church, uh, New Life Church, as you know. We have rebranded ourselves. We a new identity, a new purpose, a new vision, all new things that God had promised us a few years back that He was going to do. That He was just going to clear the pile of rubble and give us a brand new start. And indeed, a brand new start He has done, and it has been good. But it also has presented itself with some stresses and some challenges, and and some difficulties along the way. And and so over the last. Uh, three, three or so years, I, I began to really take uh, some intentional time to self-reflect and self-evaluate some things in my life and um, recognize that um, through, through the last six or so years uh, of the challenges of ministry and, and leading and pastoring and, try, and being a father and a husband and all those things that, that play into life, I, I, I realized I, was, I had battled uh, and wrestled with things like depression over the last six years, uh, wrestled and battled some things like not being cynical towards people. Uh, it's crazy, you go to, into ministry to serve and help people, but uh, if, you're, if we're not careful, we can become, some of the pastors can become some of the most critical people, critical people of other people, quite honestly. If, if I could speak for some other people, that's what we would say. And um, you see a lot of hurts, and you see a lot of uh, downfalls in people's lives, and you try to help as best as you can, and you never quite feel adequate enough uh, to really help and to really get people to where you believe they could be. And uh, so it, it leaves you in a, in a place that, that is that kind of sometimes doubtful. Um, and, 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 and so um, one, of the, one of the things... Um, well, really, the main thing that I, that I, that's kind of become real clear to me over the last uh, few months is is that I need to resign. I need to resign from the pressure to produce. I didn't want to give anybody a heart attack. <laughs> it was intentional. So those of you who were catnapping, you just woke right up out of your out of your dream. You were dreaming about roast and potatoes, and then I like nightmared you all of a sudden. 
Those of you who thought you were getting rid of me really easy, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me, okay? I wasn't trying to make you crazy or shock you in a way. But I want to, I really am trying to be serious, is that I do need to resign from the pressure to produce. I'm a very driven person. I'm a very like-to-see-results kind of guy. I, I mean, I don't like to not finish something when I start it. I like to see it through and almost to the point of, um, of perfection. And it's not fair to other people. And it's not even fair to myself. Doesn't mean I won't try, I won't prepare, I won't work hard or any of that. It's just I've got to resign from the pressure to, to make myself successful as a pastor. I've got to stop making myself feel like I've got to grow the biggest church in Jackson, Tennessee. I have to stop from trying to, to make a lot of things happen and just let God make things happen. Another area I've got to resign from is the fear of man. For as long as I can remember, the fear of man has plagued this soul of mine, and it is, it is, it is, a, difficult, it is a difficult thing to deal with. I don't know if anybody else suffers with that, wrestles with the fear of man, live, always trying to live up to the expectations of other people. And I've learned I cannot please everybody all the time. I don't even please myself half the time. But that's an area I've got to resign from. I've got to resign from the fear of man and living up to certain expectations, meaning that that doesn't give me the right to purposely hurt somebody or purposely let somebody down or anything like that. It's just that I can't live with that that voice saying you, you've got to do it a certain way if you want so-and-so to like you or if you want so-and-so to really think well of you or whatever it is and the third area i've discovered i need to resign from is the need to know everything that i don't know needs to become more frequent in my mouth it does not give me excuse to not pray to not study to not research to not read to not try hard in life. That's not what I'm saying. It kind of comes, it kind of stems from the area of, of control. I like to be in control. I like to drive. I can't stand to sit in the passenger seat. I just can't do it. It drives me nuts. I like to drive. And for those of you who were with me earlier in the part of the year, I broke my knee. I couldn't drive for like three months. I had to sit in the middle seat of our van and I had to, closed my mouth from giving backseat driver tips to my wife. She really didn't have to take me places. She, I could have called on old Pastor Prentice to come get me. But the, the need to know everything kind of stems from that. And it's not that I don't dream, I don't vision, I don't look ahead. It, it's, it's, it's this thing in me that... Uh, that is a thorn. And these are areas I've asked God to take away. I have a short temper. If you've not been around me very, very close, um, it's a thing that, that is a thorn. I know nobody in here has temper issues. So what I've, re what I've concluded is that if I'm going to be healthier as a person in Christ, as a person who leads a church, pastors people, and leads my own family, that these are some areas I have to resign from and that I have to rest in God's grace. As Paul said, man, it is all I need. It is all I need. So the thorns that I deal with, that you deal with, that we deal with, I don't want these thorns to mold my life. I don't want these thorns to determine and dictate 
how I will live, whether or not I'll have joy, whether or not I'll have peace, whether or not I'll be worry-free, whether or not I'll be faith-filled or faithful, whether or not I'll be obedient to God, or whether or not I'll be silent when I need to really speak. Thorns have a way of doing that kind of thing. And for Paul, he was laying it all out there, and he, 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 he said these thorns, this thorn, these things exist in my life. And scholars, they have not really been able to prove exactly what these thorns are. Some of them think that it was a physical ailment, like an eye issue, a speech impediment, or Paul maybe have dealt with epilepsy. Other scholars think it was more of a, uh, the agony of the people. People misunderstanding Paul and giving Paul a hard time, which you read, that, that happened a lot too. Still, other scholars think that these thorns Paul dealt with were really a spiritual temptation. That Paul had a tendency to be bitter. And that Paul had a terrible, terrible temper. Whatever those thorns were, I think some of those existed in his life. And some of these things may exist in our life. But... The issue here, Paul said, look, I've I've prayed for these thorns to be taken away from my life. Thorns in the ancient times were used in battle as stakes in the ground to slow the enemy down on their attack. And for Paul, these thorns were ripping into him and cutting him. They were tormenting him, but they were also, God was using them to humble him. And... And it was, they were slowing him down, so to speak. At least he was allowing these thorns to slow him down. He was, in other words, using the thorns as an excuse for perhaps some of his behavior, perhaps some of his setbacks, perhaps for some of the ways of, of his antics and the way he handled and dealt with certain people or situations. He blamed it on his thorns. But then he realized, but he said, I prayed to God, I begged God. Anybody ever begged God to do something? Anybody ever begged God to take something away? And for him, he begged him three times, God, you got to take this thorn out of my flesh. you got to remove it. you got to get behind me, Satan. And for three times, each time God told him, no, I can't, I'm not. Here's what, I told, here's what he did tell him, my grace is sufficient. I mean, what an answer. I got these thorns in my life, God, and I'm asking you to take them away. Can't you see they're tripping me up? Can't you see they're trapping me? Can't you see they're slowing me down? Can't you see that they're keeping me back from fulfilling my purpose in you? And all the time, God's like, no, you're not seeing it right. You don't look at the thorn the right way. Start looking at it from my perspective. Twist your eyes and tilt your head and stand on a foot and look the way I'm looking at you. Those thorns I'm not taking, but my grace I am giving. That what if we have to deal with these thorns the rest of our life? Will we use these thorns as an excuse as to why we never did what God wanted us to do? Will we use these thorns as an excuse as to why we will never be the kind of people God has called us to be? Or will we get to the revelation and the understanding that Paul is trying to preach to the church and that is God's grace is all we need? We don't like to talk about thorns, right? We don't like to talk about our weaknesses. We don't like to boast in our weaknesses as Paul did. And that's what he got to. He said, These, I boast in my weakness there in verse uh, 9. He says, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ can work through me. What does he mean, boast about my weaknesses? It, I think it kind of really boils down to this. And that is, instead of hiding and running from the weaknesses, you acknowledge that you've got some. And most of the time, a lot of Christians are the best at hiding and running from weaknesses instead of acknowledging that we have some. Because if we acknowledge we have them, we're afraid that we're actually going to be viewed and thought of as weak. But the way the kingdom of God works is when we acknowledge we have weaknesses, that is when the power of Christ becomes strong in our life. Far too long in the history of church has Christians tried to hide under and run from their weaknesses because we've gotten it twisted. We don't know the way the gospel of the kingdom works, and that is God's grace becomes power in our life in our weak moments and in our weak state. 
We don't use it as an excuse. We just acknowledge. And when we acknowledge, God's power can work through us. And then he says in verse 10, I mean, the audacity of the Apostle Paul who, who wrote half the New Testament and planted thousands, hundreds of churches and reached thousands of people and all these things. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles that I suffer for Christ. Taking pleasure in weakness I think boils down to this, is we don't pretend that those issues don't bother us. We acknowledge we have weaknesses, but we don't pretend they don't affect us. They do affect us. They do bother me. It bothers me that I like to be in control. And probably the test will be, sit in the passenger seat and just enjoy Yeah, it's coming. I know, I know okay, I get, it's coming. Get that. I don't want to do that, but I probably, I, I should do that, right? That's probably what I need to do. I just need to welcome the passenger seat to my life. I can't stand to drive and be behind a big truck that I can't see around. Oh, it drives me crazy. No offense if you drive a big truck. That gives you the right to see everything, right? You get to see it all. But us other guys, man, I don't like driving behind you big trucks. I like to at least be able to see what's in front of me so that I can be in control of what, is, what I can do or can't do. I'm boasting of my weaknesses today, church. I'm letting you know I got issues. And if you don't show up next week, well, it'll just be me <laughs> working on myself with the Lord. I don't know what will happen, but something hopefully good will happen. So I take pleasure in my weaknesses. I don't pretend they don't bother me. They do. They bother me. They affect me. They get on my nerves. They trouble me. They torment me. They slow me down not right what God says my grace is all you need so Paul gets to the end there in the message it says all these things I, I boast I, I take pleasure in I, I acknowledge I don't pretend they, they don't exist or they don't bother me he says I I just let Christ take over I want to live the rest of my life letting Christ Jesus just take over Say, hadn't you been living that way? Not every day. Not every day. Every day I'm in control. There's some days I call the shots. There's some days I determine. But one of the things over about, I don't know, just a little while, before I start my day, I've been asking the Lord, I I put, you remember back early in the year we gave out prayer cloths and we prayed over you and we said put them in your right shoe. For me, I've gone through like five because they just get all twisted and sometimes get stuck in there and I forget they're in my shoe and, uh, or stick to my sock and I get undressed and throw in the laundry and I'm like, I don't have them anymore. I need another one, Pastor Prentice. Give me another prayer cloth so I can make it today. So anyway, put them in, I put it in my right shoe and, and I asked the Lord, Lord, just, I, 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 want, I ask you to walk with me today. More importantly, I just, I want to walk with you today. I want to keep up with you. I want to walk by your pace, the pace you set, the rhythm that you determine. And the more days I'm actually aware of that and pay attention to that prayer and think about that prayer throughout the day, I have joy. I have peace. I'm not worried. I'm not stressed out. I'm not anxious. I'm not heavily burdened. But those days and those moments when I forget I prayed that prayer and I don't think about the prayer I prayed, I'm stressed out. I don't have peace. I'm worried. I don't have joy. I'm biting somebody's head off, giving the wrong answer to a question or whatever it might be, and, and, and that's not good. Any real Christians in the house today? I mean, any real people in the house today? 
I just let Christ take over, Paul says. I let Christ take over. Doesn't mean he will always remove the thorns, but what it will guarantee is he will always give us grace. He will always give us grace for the thorn that he chooses not to remove. There, I believe there are a lot of things he'll remove, and he frees us from and liberates us from, but really the work of all of it is the dispensation of his grace in our life. Whether he does or whether he doesn't, the constant is, am I a daily recipient of the grace of God? Amen? So I let Christ take over, he said. Just let him take over, because those thorns will trip us or trap us. And they'll contain us, or those thorns will teach us and throw us and catapult us forward. They can either be used against us or they can be used for us, and the way they're used for us for us is by God's grace. Amen? So we acknowledge them. We don't pretend they don't bother us. But in so doing, we let Christ take over. Because God never gave anybody an easy job. God never promised anyone an easy life, free from pain, free from trial, free from tribulation, free from stress, free from strain, free from ignorant people. Free from people who get on our nerves. Right? He never promised any of that kind of stuff. Never promised a life free from difficulty and challenges and pain. We all face them, a.k.a. we all have thorns. So what do we do? I want to end with this. What do we do? God, it's already 11.50. i got to shut up. What do we do? I didn't intend to preach it that long. I thought I'd preach it for about five minutes. It never works out that way, Lindsay. It just never works out that way. For me, for you, it does. For me, it doesn't. I'm horrible. What do we do when... What do we do when he doesn't remove the thorns? What do we do? We have to learn to rest in God's grace. I just want to drop these three bombs on you that are good, grace bombs. The three effects of God's great grace in our life. Can you handle them? Can you catch them? Will you let them blow up in your life and let them change you? I'm serious. Let the grace of God revolutionize your life like it is right now in my life. This is a growing, processing thing that he's taken me through right now, and um, it's the best thing over the last 26 years of knowing the Lord since becoming born again and going through those early formative stages. 20 year on nearly 20 years in ministry, I, I tell you, I, I, wouldn't wanna, I wouldn't make it the next 20 years healthy, spiritually, if he wasn't doing what he's doing in my life right now. Grace. First of all, God's grace is this. It's accepting. Just write, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. It's accepting. Matthew 3, 16 and 17, Jesus gets water baptized. He comes up out of the water, and they hear a voice from heaven. It's God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I think that's verse 17. This is my son my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. God declaring about Jesus, hey, you're accepted. You haven't, he's dis, he hasn't started ministry. He hasn't reached anybody. He hasn't uh, saved anybody. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't delivered anybody. He hasn't preached his first message yet. Before he does anything, before achievement and doing, Jesus gets that God accepts him for who he is. And he shows us that, that God's grace is accepting to our life. And here's the question for us. Am I resting in the truth that God's grace accepts me based on his accomplishments and not my own? You wouldn't believe, but how many, how many, there, you wouldn't believe, there's a lot of people struggle with this right here, just accepting the grace of God and being accepted by the grace of God without having to perform. See, this whole thing, after, after God spoke that publicly, you're my son, I love you, before you do anything, I just want you to know it's not based on what you do, it's who you are. It was put to the test. The next thing that happened in chapter 4 of Matthew was Jesus went out into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. He fasted and prayed. 
And it was the devil who came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, prove this. If you are the Son of God, do this. And every time it was the devil saying, if you are, then prove it. And he hasn't not stopped playing that game with Christians today. If you really are the child of God, then you need to prove it. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to show it this way if you really are. And it's all about accomplishment. If you really are a good pastor, then you need to make your church grow to be a thousand. If you are, prove it. And what God, uh, God's grace says, embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace my grace for your life. And it's not based on what you do, it's based on who you are. The day you and I were born was probably our most sorriest day on earth. People were excited, people were happy, but we, were the, we, we had our most less contribution in, on this planet the day we were born. We were the slimiest. We were the dumbest. We, have, we could make zero contribution to this world. Now the one who should be celebrated is the mother who gives the birth. As my wife says, on my give birthday, on our three kids' birthday, it's my give birthday. Yeah, the mama should be really celebrated. Now, I know we celebrate each other. I get it. It's all, it. I'm glad we're alive. Glad you're alive. Glad to know you. Glad you're a part of the family and kingdom of God. All those good things. You live to be 100, you actually get a card from the president. Now, I know some people wouldn't want one from him right now. That's okay. But if you live to be 100, you get a card. For doing what? For not dying. <laughs> for not dying. That's called grace. You didn't do anything to get the card. You just didn't die. Why in the world should I think my accomplishments get me more of the grace of God than just accepting and embracing God's grace like it did for me over 26 years ago? I didn't do anything. I couldn't prove it. I was dumb and ignorant of Him. I didn't have anything to show for it. I didn't want to read. I hated reading. I didn't want to read the Bible. didn't want to go to church. didn't want to pray. My prayer was, God, I pray we don't go to church today. <laughs> and then another prayer was, God, I pray we don't go back to that church again. Did he hear those prayers? Shoot, no, he didn't hear those prayers. What he did hear was my voice somehow reaching out in my ignorance and my separation and all those years of other people praying for me, sowing seed on my behalf, got me to the place where I just accepted. But somewhere along the line, over 26 years of walking with the Lord, sometimes I fail to just accept it. Amen? I, I could preach each of these for like a long time, and i got to move on. You are loved for who you are, not what you do. Here's the second thing of grace. You guys got just a few more minutes? Okay. God's grace is sustaining. Not only is it accepting, but it is sustaining. Answering this question, or asking this question, am I resting in the truth that God's grace replenishes me through relationship, not through religion? Matthew 4, 11, there at the end, Jesus comes out of the 40 days prayer and fast, if you are the Son of God, prove it. All that stuff. He's done. He's spent. He's hungry. Actually, he's probably hangry. Even though he didn't probably get angry like that. He's ready. He's done. He's spent. He's drained. Verse 11, it says, The devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. It shows us God's concern for the welfare of our souls when we are tired, when we are bitter when we are stressed, when we are cynical, when we are drained, when we are confused, when we have not love to offer people, when we really need it ourselves, when we don't have joy. God's care for the well-being of our soul. God's grace is sustaining. And Jesus depended upon this. 
You see it through the Gospels. You see the practices of Jesus, that he prayed, that he read the Scriptures. He was a part of corporate worship on a regular basis. He had the right circle of friends in his life. Now, some Christians are okay with just one or two of those things. But Jesus gives us the pattern of how our lives should be. That we should have all of those things working in our life. Prayer, the Word, worship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the right type of circles of friends in our life. Amen? And again, it just it's really Jesus learned what it meant to walk with God. So another plug for the message two weeks ago. It's not, I don't get anything from you listening to it. I don't get like, it's not on YouTube and I'm getting paid for it or anything like that. It's just, it's just a good dose for your heart. Learning how to walk with God. You got to hear that message. If you didn't hear it, I beg you, go listen to it. We need to engage in the like practice that Jesus had in his life. Amen? To learn to do that. American devotional writer, Letty Kalman was her name. Don't think I've ever really read anything of, of hers personally, but I read something about her. She wrote once about a traveler to Africa who hired some carriers and guides to take her on her journey. And they, they started off the first day. They went further than she thought they could ever go on the first day. She was really pleased with the distance that they, that they reached on that first day of travel across Africa. The second day, the sun came up. She got up. She was ready to get going, raring to move on to the next place. And um, she could not get the carriers and the guides to get up and move or do anything. They refused. They just sat there. She was frustrated. She went over to the leader and said, what's up? What is wrong? I'm paying all you people. Why won't they get up and let's move? And the leader said, well, yesterday, the first day, we traveled too far too fast. And today, we're just trying to let our souls catch up to our bodies. Boy, if that doesn't describe the world we live in, I don't know what does. If you're wondering why you can't get a clear head, if you're wondering why you can't see things straight, why you can't think straight, if you're wondering why you're up and down, perhaps your soul needs to be replenished. And the best thing that replenishes a soul is the grace of God. The grace of God. It's sustaining. And lastly, this. Should I quit or should I give you the last one? You want the last one? Okay. You sure? All right. God's grace is not only accepting and sustaining, but here it is. God's grace is life-changing. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Amen. Brandon, you help, help us close this out, man. There at the, in chapter 4, verse 17, it said, Jesus went on from there. This is after the wilderness experience, after that temptation time. It says he went on and began to preach. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, One day as, as he saw the crowds gather... Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. He began to teach them, and he began to teach what's marked here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the Sermon on the Mount. He was on the side of a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. Scholars say that this was not just a one-time message, a one-time sermon, but this was his message wherever he traveled to. This was what he was preaching. And it ends in chapter 7, and around verse 24 or 25, Jesus says, look, you've heard what I've had to say. And if you will actually work it into your life and do it, you'll be like the wise person who built their life, their house, on the solid rock. That the winds came, and they blew. The storms came, and they battered and beat. It was harsh circumstances in their life. But that house did not collapse. And he said, and that is the image and the picture of a life of a person who actually not only listens and hears what I tell them, but actually goes and does what, and, and actually practices what I tell them. And he said, if you will do that, then your life, you will go through storms. 
You will go through tribulations. You'll go through some hardships and challenges. You'll have some thorns in your life. But what will happen is you won't fall. You won't collapse. How many of you want a life like that? Then when you've got thorns you're dealing with, you've got weaknesses, your life's not going to collapse and fall apart. But you're going to open up and let God's grace be strong in you. Let His power be great in you. Amen? and not falter. One of the old songs I love to sing, it's one of my favorites of all time, is On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And one of the verses, uh, he, the, he says that um, though darkness tries to hide his face, I rest in his unchanging grace. Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Can you stand to your feet? What do we do with those thorns if God doesn't remove them? Quit coming to church. Quit serving. Quit praying. Quit tithing. Quit fellowshipping with the body of Christ. Quit your job. <laughs> what do we do when God doesn't remove the thorns that we beg Him to? We let Christ take over. We let His grace be sufficient. Right now, bow your heads if, you, if you're able. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Think about your life. Think about your thorns. Brandon admonished us earlier in the service to surrender these things. Think about what it is going on in your life right now. Think about the thorns that torment you and that are humbling you. Think about them. We're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, envision yourself resigning from those things while at the same time receiving God's grace in your life in spite of those thorns. Amen. Amazing grace How sweet the sound That saved a
is all like snow, the sun.